Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to the Genuine Humans podcast, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Wendy Christie. Wendy, how are you? It's post-Christmas, post-New Year. How are you doing? I know. I'm doing really well, and I'm going to keep saying Happy New Year till July, so Happy New Year. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing really well. I I think it's that whole thing about actually taking a break. Honestly, I tell so many people, you have to take a break, you have to look after yourself. I actually did it this time around, and I feel so much better for it, so yeah. Good. We are joined today by Fran Theocoli, who is the marketing director at Weetabix and also a very good friend of mine. And I'm so delighted that Fran is joining us. Welcome, Fran. Thank you, Tamara. I'm so chuffed to be here. Thank you for having me. And are you feeling relaxed after New Year and Christmas as well? Um, I was feeling relaxed. I feel like I've, I've done about four weeks work in about two weeks but um <laughs> but I'm I I still hold on to the memories we had a lovely time thank you <laughs> hit, hit the ground running yes <laughs> so Fran you've been at Weetabix for for a number of years and I want to hear all about what you do there but before we kind of go there could can I ask you to go back in time a little bit and how did you get to where you are now talk to us about your your early career yeah um it's all a bit foggy because I, I, I'm not sure. I'd love to say I was one of those people that kind of had this kind of well laid plan that was beautifully laid out, and I followed that exactly to the letter. And it just isn't really isn't really the case. I, I guess I'm probably more of a heart person than a head person, and I think that shows in the choices that I've sort of made in in my career. So if if I I go back, not quite to the start, but back to leaving school I I studied um, linguistics and psychology at uni up in in the north I did actually plan when I was thinking about where I was going to go to uni I planned to do law at Durham University funnily enough my dad was my head of sixth form so that was a a great but weird dynamic particularly when you're that age and I kind of was on this path to do law. I kind of went through the interviews, Durham University. My head was saying yes and my heart was saying no. And instead, and, and this is a credit to my dad because he gave me the space to to do this, probably against his better judgment. But I just pulled the plug and went, that isn't what I want to study. Mm. Um, and I I picked subjects, psychology and linguistic, that I was curious about, that I felt warm about. Um, and that is probably a theme for for my career choices. You know, love, love what you get up to. And um, for me, let your heart win every time. Have a little bit of head in there, but heart wins for me. So yeah, f- finished university and a, a load of my mates um, packed a couple of things in a suitcase and they went to Magaluf I think it was for a for a a week's holiday and 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 I didn't go and that sounds really boring and really dull and in hindsight that probably was but I just felt this desire to kind of nail a job down and and get on with life and they joke because I remember them coming back from from this trip all pretty jaded but with some brilliant stories 
and when they left I think I was wearing Adidas trainers and hoodies and they came back and I was suited and booted and had you know was going to bed at 10 o'clock at night and 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 getting up at half six to (laughs) to um to start my my job to start my career and 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 I, I started life actually at, at Sarah Lee, who at the time had an office up in York, um, and they were famous at that point for kind of manufacturing and marketing double chocolate gattos and death by chocolate and all those lovely yummy, I remember yummy the cheesecakes. Oh, the cheesecakes. <laughs> yes, I ate many of those for breakfast, I think. Um, and, uh, and it was my first marketing gig. And within within that role, it, it was a marketing executive role. I, I landed that through a temp agency. I'd done, I'd walked around a few temp agencies in York, kind of going, uh, I'd like a job. I'd like a job in an office, I think. And I'd quite like to wear a suit. And that was pretty much it. And in that role, I, I got access to dealing with data, insight, internal comms. I did some retailer presentations, but thinking back that gave me being in that sort of role within a team the most junior role in in the team at the time you actually get visibility to and access to loads and loads of different people because everyone needs your help because mm. everyone's got presentations to do everyone's got bags they need carried across London and you can be the one that makes sure everything's in the bag and all of that sort of stuff and I loved that bit because I just got to meet interesting people uh, I got exposed to lots of cool different things so and I put my hand up quite a lot I think looking back you know I was probably quite naive but I think quite brave at the time going yeah I'll do that thinking I'll worry later about how I'll do that but I'll do it so that was my Sarah Lee days and and the reason I left there was um, they sold the license quite soon after me joining actually to a private company during that time, the business came under quite a lot of pressure. It was promoting hard in the market. The price was falling out of the brand. Yeah. And that's just not a sustainable way to, to manage the brand. And 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 I think, yeah, quite early on, I, I started to get this sense of, I didn't know it was this, but the marketing mix and the importance of getting the balance right between investing in the value of the brand and getting the pricing right in market that justifies the value of the brand too high too low all of that sort of stuff and that was quite cool seeing all of that sort of play out so at that point I I was made redundant at 24 I think Mm -hmm. um, which wasn't the plan and and as I cast my mind back to how that felt it, it was pretty daunting but I think when you're that age and at that time actually back in that would have been 2000 2004 mm. you know there, it, there isn't the same pressure I don't think as as there is now in on you know on young people early in their career you know there were plenty of jobs available food in particular FMCG was very buoyant very dynamic so I probably was slightly daunted but but the overriding emotion that I remember was just this enormous adrenaline to push on and, and do different things so I um, then moved to Fox's Biscuits who were based up in Leeds. They are. They were founded, I think it's something like 1853. So they were steeped in tons and tons of history and heritage, which I found quite compelling yeah. from a, a brand perspective. They make some really delicious biscuits. So Crunch from- creams. Crunch mm-hmm. creams, they're a biggie, yes. And so it was from cakes to biscuits. And what was great about biscuits, I remember thinking, was I don't need to defrost it because it's just ready and I can eat it immediately. <laughs> so uh, that was dangerous. And 
And I guess the appeal for me of Foxes was well-known brand, a warm brand and, and a fairly big brand, but a small business feel. And I think that's a that's a pattern in in my career. I've tend I've tended to make choices that have meant that, you know, when when I think about the brand, it makes you feel something. Mm. And when I but when I think about the business, I feel an, a, an ability at whatever level I've been at to make a difference and not just kind of kind of be a number on the payroll and, and sucked up in in the volume of people and hierarchy and all of that sort of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with big organizations and hierarchy at all. There's plenty of good things that can come out of that. But for me, I just had this, my heart was pulling me to big brand feel, small business feel, mm. medium business, mm-hmm. business feel. And with within... Within my time at Foxes, we did, I, I did some kind of deeper brand management work. Um, later in my time at Foxes, I specialized a bit more in insight and innovation, which I loved the ability to kind of step out and look more to the future of, of anchored in data and insight was really compelling for me. And, and who doesn't love kind of coming up with new ideas and, and launching new stuff in the market? I guess FMCG, I've loved the I've loved how tangible it feels, you know, if friends, family really count to me and, and they've always got a point of view on what I do because it's brands they use, it's food and, and every, everybody's got something to say about that. And it's cool um, when it when you see your stuff and your team's work hitting the market. I was just going to say, do you still get like a thrill when you see it on the on the shelves in the supermarket and everything as well? Oh, enormously. Yeah, enormously. I mean, there aren't, I don't go into store as much as I used to. I'm I'm definitely an an online convenience girl. But when I do get into store, I was in store last week looking at some of the stuff we've just done on Weetabix in, in, in the aisle in Tesco and I can't. I I don't think there are many occasions. Maybe when the when my little baby girl Alessandra's crying, um, I get round a little bit quicker. But usually I'll divert through the dessert aisle, the biscuit aisle, the cereal aisle. You know, I, it's difficult for me not to look at those things. And I've got my husband in the same habit now. Even if he's nipping to Tesco Express, which is just at the end of our drive, he uh, he always has a look at what we fix and boxes are up to <laughs> that's so nice I find myself getting diverted in the wine aisle but I don't understand because I don't work for a wine company or anything <laughs> I'm with you there <laughs> definitely so yeah so so that was sort of foxes and I guess I guess again something I've been lucky I think and I, I'd love to say it's a plan but I do think it's it's a bit of a bit of luck I've always had amazing bosses I don't think I've had a a bad boss and that really counts yeah. My time at Foxes, um, I worked for an amazing lady who's a friend of mine now, and we've kind of both been at each other's weddings and seen each other have children, and not literally, I wasn't there in the birthing room with her, <laughs> but um, you know, we've we've been on that journey of life together. And for me, two things that stood out with her um, when I worked for her was she was just amazing at caring about her people. You know, it wasn't an act; it was it was so authentic so she had this this care and this passion for her people and for the work but she was just her work ethic was off the scale as well and she would never ever expect anything of you that she wouldn't expect of of herself so Mm. she that you know my bosses have been a big reason uh, uh, why I've hung about in the roles that I've hung about in um, and the businesses I've hung about in for as long as I have 
so after four years, I, I sort of reached, felt like I was reaching the end of the road at, at Foxes. I was, from a personal point of view, I was probably feeling the pull of the South a little mm-hmm. bit more. I, I'd loved my time um, up North. I lived up North. I, I'm, I grew up in the Midlands, but I lived up North for maybe 10, 11 years, something like that. But I felt this pull to kind of get closer to London and the bright lights. At this point, I was kind of 27, 28, and that all seemed quite, quite appealing. And I I felt this ambition to just tidy up my marketing skill set a little bit. I liked the idea of having bigger budgets to play with. I liked the idea of, of probably spending time with people with different experiences and learning um, from from different people with with different backgrounds different different experiences as I said and I guess yeah I I interviewed at the time for a number of FMCG branded roles and Weetabix just outshone all of Mm. them literally I mean the lights came on for me when I when I walked through through the door and 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 by no means was it because of you know the kind of the grandness of Weetabix offices because they're they're not particularly grand if I'm honest it's it's you know we are still based at the original mills and the building's a little bit crumbly in parts but it's it's it feels like home yeah. it, it feels like home to me and it feels like I love the fact that most of the businesses I've worked in Foxes, Weetabix they've the food is made on the site where I work and I love that because yeah. I, I love getting close to where the food's made. I have a passion for, I, I, I want to do it a bit more than than I, I do now. But I remember in my early days, I was spending a huge amount of time in with the teams in the factories, talking mm. to them about the quality of the food, sharing the consumer letters, because there were lots more letters back then and, and walking in the shoes of consumers, but walking in the shoes of the people that matter, which is the people that make the food in the organization as well. And that's a theme for me that, that kind of makes me tick. Um, I love that, that human touch, that human connection. Um, see what I did there. Human connection. connection. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's been cool. And, and that light did come on for me at Weetabix. I knew the brand was amazing. I knew the food was good because I'd eaten it for most of my life. But the the people and the business came to life for me when I, I was interviewed. And 14 years later, I'm I'm still there. I'm still at Weetabix. And, and I guess that wasn't the plan. I thought maybe I'd do two or three years. They're about an hour north of London. And and I thought this might be a stepping stone to get deeper into the heart of London and the, the access to the brands and the businesses in that space. But I guess, yeah, four different owners later, we're, we're currently owned by Post Holdings, who are a US-based consumer packaged goods business who have a handful of operating companies who make lots of different foods across the US and the UK mainly but globally and they've been an amazing owner they bought us in 2017 and they talked at the time about us being a an acquisition for them that was a forever brand acquisition um, which was lovely because they they were saying just keep doing what you're doing. We're not coming in to kind of tell you how to do it differently. It's no coincidence the the business and the brand is 90 years young because we kind of know what we're up to and they were really respectful of that. But at the same time, 
they're challenging at the right points. They they will sometimes throw in a question that just causes us to stop and pause and think about what we're mm-hmm. up to. And 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 I think more often than not, it's really insightful and really helpful. So they give us freedom, um, but they also give us huge counsel um, and really smart counsel. So that's been amazing. And and I think on average, I've changed my role every two or three years within WeSpix. Yeah. Started life as a senior brand manager and marketing is my trade. But within my time at Weetabix, I've moved cross-functionally, which I would recommend to everyone. Yeah. And don't wait to be asked and offered, you know, own your stuff, own your journey and and market it to those people around you and get people to try and get people on side to champion it with you. Um, so those cross-functional moves for me, I was probably the, the most obvious one has been my move to run the category team in the commercial team at, at Weetabix. I've done some project cross-functional stuff, but that was a was lifting me out, moving moving me into the commercial function and just my ability to walk in the shoes of, of a different function within the business and, and spend time with our retailers and our customers as a marketeer, that's enormously powerful because it's those people that house our brands and it's the shop window literally to our brands so that that opened my eyes to that to that world and 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 I think it's changed my perspective on what as marketeers we we can do well and I think if we don't spend time in in that area of the business we're we're missing a trick and then in 2017 um, that was the point at which I landed the executive leadership role um, as the marketing director within within Weetabix. The marketing director who had been my boss years before, Sally Abbott, she was promoted to managing director, which was enormous because not only was she a marketer, she's a female absolutely killing it with her career she's got three kids she's an amazing mum and she's an amazing leader an amazing marketeer so for me that was incredibly inspiring and that opened up the opportunity for me to step into the shoes that she'd been in um so I've been in that role for five years now which has been has flown actually feels yeah. like five minutes it sounds really rewarding and I think what you were talking about having sort of moved across different functions that's just growth in a different way, isn't it? And then that really enables that growth through the organisation later on. Right, yeah. So Fran, you mentioned earlier that you'd studied linguistics and psychology at university. Um, and these were the, the things that made you feel warm, I think is what you said. I loved that. And I was having degree envy because they're the subjects that I wish that I had studied at uni. So as a child, were you really interested in the way people thought or interested in languages? Where did that come from? Yeah, um, I guess so. My my mum was a linguist. She, I think, could speak um, four different languages. And my mum passed away, which is why I'm I'm being a little bit vague. She pa- passed away when I was I was ten, so I, I don't have huge memories of mm-hmm. of of that. And yeah, so so I guess she she was she was really into languages she was a brilliant communicator I just she was just the life and soul of you know she came into a room and it kind of lit up and Mm -hmm. and and she just loved talking which is pretty (laughs) pretty similar to me I think so 
love talking, kind of love different cultures, love love diversity really. And 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 I mean that not in kind of the on vogue kind of sense of the word, but just generally love love different stuff, different people, different different experiences, different going to different countries, doing different stuff. And I guess for me, linguistics and psychology was the perfect blend of all of that stuff. And I was just curious about it all. And and I've, as I said up front, I kind of didn't really have this kind of really clearly laid out life plan. I never have. Um, And I quite like the freedom that, that not having that brings. And I felt that that choice of course would allow me to do many different things and and actually when I talk to people now about career journeys and that sort of stuff because I think you tie yourself up in knots about Mm -hmm. about what to do and you know I remember thinking by the time I'm 30 I'm going to have done this this and this and I'm going to achieve this this and that and and then I got there and some of it I'd done and some of it I hadn't you know I was still single and still single and (laughs) and 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 I just say say to people now, don't don't kind of worry about that stuff. Stuff will happen when it's meant to happen, and just enjoy the journey. But I want I I, I try and guide people to say, just have options. Give yourself as yeah. many options as you can, mm. and that if that means you've got a stepping stone in place that can lead you five different ways, brilliant. You know, a stepping stone that might only lead you lead you one way. I'm not sure is as helpful as one that might lead you four or five different ways. And I felt that that course um, would allow me to go in, down many different paths. Fantastic. And, and and sort of going back even further, and um, I was I was sorry about what you said about your, your mum passing away when you were 10. I, I mean, what were you like as a child and did that, it must have had a big impact on you? Yes, I, yes and no. I mean, of course, it, it, it was enormous. But at the same time, I I don't know any different, so mm-hmm. I kind of don't I I, I kind of don't really know if that were a sliding doors moment. I don't really know where the other door would have taken me. I've got so much to be grateful for. I don't feel shortchanged in life in any sort of way. I I I I think about my mum a lot. I think about what she'd say to me. I think about what she'd be like. I think about you know, the time she'd have with my daughter, all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, my, my dad, my dad made sure that, you know, we had lots of opportunity in life. And I mean that in the best way, he, we had to work for it, and we had to earn it. But he made us feel like anything was possible. So yeah, I I guess as a lie, as a child in life, I, I, I grew up with this sense of hard work, I grew up with many happy memories. We camped a lot. I don't think I stayed in a hotel till I was about 16 or something like that. Uh, I don't think I went on a plane until I was about that age as well. You know, we used to jump in the car with the caravan in tow. We'd go, we spent a lot of time in Dartmoor with friends and family. We we went abroad to France. We got the P&O ferry. I remember always feeling sick on the P&O ferry. <laughs> um, and... Um, yeah, but I, I remember, and I don't know how much of this was conscious, but I remember thinking every every experience we had, I was very aware of my dad had worked really hard to help us have that experience. My mm. my dad was a math teacher, my mum a French teacher, and um, but my dad around being a math teacher used to drive coaches on the weekends. I remember one many years 
posting the census do you remember the census we post yeah. that through many different doors my dad used to do that for a bit of extra money I remember nearly getting my hand bitten off by a dog one day <laughs> trying to get that through the door um he used to mark exam papers and I, I'm not sure if he was meant to do this but he used to pay me 10p a paper or something for me to double check he'd added the numbers up right on the math paper <laughs> of these exam papers and I just remember having this sense of by him doing that we can do this right um, and this will mean we will go on holiday to Dartmoor in May and and there was this real sense of that so I, I think in the early days he really it, he really kind of bedded in this sense of anything's possible but you need to work hard to achieve what you want to achieve and he always, also, I remember kind of him teaching me this sense of control the controllables, don't waste your energy on stuff that you can't worry about, that you can't mm-hmm. control. So I, I felt quite safe growing up, despite suffering the loss of my mum and that hole that it left within our family. I did feel this sense of safety and stability and that I, I, I'm massively thankful for that my dad, I think, worked hard to put in place mm-hmm. so that the bottom didn't fall out the family when, when we didn't have my mum around any anymore the other thing I remember as a child is I loved performing arts I loved getting up on stage I loved that you know I had these romantic ideals in the early days of going on a cruise ship and singing singing for a living I've still got those ideals (laughs) well I have too maybe we can set one up together tomorrow do you want to launch a cruise ship that's a great idea I remember watching uh, when I'd watched the x factor and a criticism would be, well, it sounded a bit cruise ship. And I'd think, <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> what's wrong with that? <laughs> Sorry, totally interrupting your flow there. I, no, I, I absolutely agree. Loved performing arts. And I did kind of have these romantic ide- ideals of that. Um, but I think I also had kind of running alongside this, this curiosity for business. I quite like this idea of, if you do that, this thing will happen. If if you design this thing, maybe you can you can bring this stuff to reality. And yeah, there was a little bit of wearing the suit and carrying the briefcase and all those things that come with those kind of romantic ideals of what you might do in future. But as I said, they were just they were just kind of far out there kind of dreams. I didn't really have this well thought through plan. But um, in in summary, you know, despite suffering tragedy as a family, I think I had a wonderful childhood. And I think my dad, as you can sense already, is a bit of a hero to me, um, kind of really creating a path for us that 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 was very that we were very, very privileged Mm -hmm. to to have. He sounds he sounds amazing. And and was there anyone else that you looked up to as a child, whether it was someone you knew or somebody in the uh, the public eye yeah I, I think for me my my sisters sort of closer to home again my sisters were I was the youngest of three I my sisters are both four or five four and five years older than me so the oldest one I think had to really step in to right. kind of do the do the stuff that my dad needed help with you know so she was the one putting the washing on she was the one loading the dishwasher and I was kind of standing behind her getting in the way probably and um and and I'm incredibly grateful for and still very very close to to them we don't we're not the kind of family that calls each other every day and tells each other that we love each other every day but we kind of don't need to say it Mm because we just know I think when you go through something as as epic as that in in your life there's there's a there's a closeness there's a bond that other people can't see Mm. and 
I yeah I I I would say my sisters for me we've taken very different paths you know they got married younger than I did they had children younger than I did our paths are very different but I admire them an awful lot I probably mm-hmm. don't tell them that enough but I I admire them a lot because they've 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 had a difficult time you know both single parents things haven't always gone to plan for them but blimey they smile their way through it and mm-hmm. uh, they still have fun and they've still got a zest for life which is is admirable I think well hopefully they'll hear this and and hear you saying those wonderful things and um and and you know thinking as an adult and in your career you've already mentioned a couple of the bosses that you've had who Mm. have 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 been really helpful and inspirational by the sounds of it are there any other genuine humans that you feel have influenced your career or given you that support yeah I mean I I feel like this could be I could do a podcast for each of them (laughs) um I I think yeah there's 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 a guy called Peter Burcombe that I got introduced to when I probably about a year after I joined Weetabix he was He's been a sales director in a previous life in a couple of FMCG businesses. He's now a kind of, I don't even know what he'd call himself. He doesn't like to call himself any, anything, but he's hes probably what you would call a leadership coach. Um, and I've spent a lot of time with him over the years. And he's just a really straight talking guy. He's the kind of person that can really give it to you between the eyes, <laughs> but you can't take offence. And I love the fact he's so straight talking. He's probably given me the most powerful feedback I've ever had in, in my career. That And what he does brilliantly is he says it concisely, candidly, but with real clear support to drive the action around it. So I, I think he's he's somebody that I'm incredibly grateful for. He's, he's opened my eyes to the power of managing and leading and and more emphasis on on the leading so he talks about this idea of being on it but not in it mm. um, uh. and that's a skill I've had to work really hard because you spend your life being told to be or, or learning to be all over the kind of technical detail and the work and then suddenly you make this leap where you go and you don't really know when it happens but you go I can't do that anymore I need to allow people the space to be in it and make the decisions and but equally I still need to have enough kind of a, of a sense of being on it and being in control and being able to steer um, without doing it so he he's opened my eyes to that sort of stuff and actually I would say back to the cross-functional moves I think making that cross-functional move is where that really allows you to do that it is best because moving out of your trade and the thing you know how to do where you've let's face it you probably enjoy doing it and doing the stuff because that's why you're in in the jobs that's why you've kind of made that your trade me stepping out and doing work that I don't know how to do and I all I can do is provide the environment to let others others do it and thrive I think really allowed me to kind of build confidence in what leadership really means and and the power of great leadership and it's all about the people um, so he he was amazing at that. Um, the other one um, for me is less about a person, but again, it, it, it's 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 stepping out and just sort of giving yourself the space to think about this stuff. I did the Marketing Society Leadership Program. Oh, that's so was, good. Oh, isn't it amazing? Isn't it? It, it? I think it was about ten years ago, and you'll know tomorrow. It it's the ability to just sort of step back 
reflect hold a mirror up kind of look at what you're up to look at where you want to go look at where you want to take your professional and your personal life and talk about that stuff with like-minded people and the thing for me what that opened my eyes to was up until that point I had this kind of really strange I wouldn't call it a fear but just this I just didn't have I didn't have an appetite to network enormously. I found it, oh, it gets in the way of the work I need to be doing. I feel a bit awkward about it and I'm going to turn up and no one's going to talk to me and uh, all of that sort of stuff. And suddenly I got in this a room with a load of people and I just thought, wow, how much value, how much, how much am I enjoying spending time with people outside of my organization and who... I have got different backgrounds to me, different opinions on stuff, different experiences. And and I suddenly had a different perspective on the power of building your network. And I think, you know, the word I don't like, but I think there's there's enormous uh, there's enormous strength in in spending time with people outside of your organization and opening your eyes to the art of the possible. And that's what that Marketing Society Leadership Program did for me. And I'm still friends with those people now. And I think, you know, the network is is so important. And and just because I'm feeling a little bit fraudulent now, I haven't actually been through the course. <laughs> I just know so many people have been through it. And our own uh, MD, Lynn uh, Frost, is is on it as well. And it's just people talk about it in such a sort of high high regard. Mm. And that and, and the Marketing Academy in the same way as well. It's just mm. developing your network and, and getting that outside uh, help. But I'm, I'm interested to know, how would you describe your leadership now that you sort of, you know, you've, you've had this uh, support and there's been so many things that have happened, but how do you describe your leadership and, and also how do you set the culture? Yeah, um, I remember once someone said to me, work out what type of leader you want to be. Um, I remember thinking, oh, that's not a helpful question. And, and, and actually, I think it is a really helpful question, but it's only now I think I've it's only now I'm further down the track of spending time thinking about leadership that I see the value of that. And, and I would say I care really deeply about, about people that I work with. I, 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 I genuinely want them to do really well. And I genuinely want them to be better than me because I know by them being better than me, I'll be better Mm. because they'll teach me stuff. And I, I care about them personally and I, I, I care about them professionally. So that kind of deep care is is real. The, the other thing for me is I, I'm probably deeply demanding. <laughs> um, and I think because I care deeply, I get away with being deeply demanding. They know when I'm when I'm challenging on, can we go faster? Is that good enough? Should we pause? Should we delay just to give ourselves more time? And, and, and uh, uh, asking all of those questions, uh, for them I think because they know my intention is good and it's because I want them to be successful and I want what we're up to to be successful for the good of the business and for the good of all of us I can kind of get away with it so I would Mm. describe it in in those two ways and I don't think you can you can demand deeply and challenge deeply unless you've earned that trust and and Mm -hmm. shown how much much you care that's got to come that's got to come first um and the culture I would say for me there's there's something about I'm and I'm conscious I say this with a with a decent title behind me but I I don't 
I don't care much for titles, for job titles. I think there's a danger with job titles that it, it, it restricts people. I think there's a danger that it kind of carves out, well, this is where I sit. And so that person above me needs to, to tell me what to do. And, mm. and, and it, not because I'm being lazy, but because they've got the experience and they've got the job title that suggests they should. So I kind of like people to put the job titles behind them and just go, you are a leader in your own space. You might not have leader in your title, but I don't, I, that doesn't matter. Ignore it. Lead in your space. And if that means, you know, and this this is terrible because it kind of sounds like I'm I'm talking down on the people that buy the paper clips. But if you buy the paper clips in the organization, or if you buy 18 million pounds worth of marketing advertising, for me, it, it's irrelevant. If if you if you buy the paper clips and you think we shouldn't be buying paper clips anymore, and you think there's a different way we should buy the paper clips, I want to talk about that. I want to hear your points of view on that. I want you to lead in that space that you operate mm-hmm. in, and perhaps step outside of that space and push push out of those boundaries, and think like a leader, behave like a leader, and focus like a leader. And we talk a lot about you are all mini manager, managing directors in my team. You might look after that two million pound brand, and someone looks after the hundred and fifty million pound brand that is Weetabix. But I I want you to feel how like you've got the same voice as that person who runs the big stuff, runs the big guns, and talk to me about what your ideas are. Talk to me and behave like you run the 150 million because one day you will. And so why don't you promote yourself in your head now and get you know and put yourself in the shoes of that person and think and lead like like that person. So I a big believer in thinking, thinking, focusing, behaving like a leader before you think you might have got there. Because if you don't behave like it, you might never get there because you kind of limit your potential. I love that. And we're seeing the sort of the output of that approach and, you know, Weetabix absolutely smashing it in so many ways. And in particular on social media, obviously, we can't have a a podcast where we don't talk a a little bit about social media. And, And obviously, that's something that you've had some great success on in so many ways. But how are you using social now to sort of connect with your audience what are the some of the different things that you're you're doing well if I if I take you back to I mean it wasn't that long ago probably five or six years ago when when I moved into the chair of the marketing director role I looked at the media and where we were placing our bets on our media and for all very sensible reasons at that time almost 100% of our advertising budget was on TV um, linear TV and we're now at a place where it's about 60 40 we spend about 18 million pounds on on marketing um, and we've got to be responsible with that money and for me you know TV for us is still king TV is kind of where the return on investment suggests is working hard it's hardest and that's going to be for a, a however long is going to be a dominant part of our of our plan and what we've done gradually over time is try to responsibly nudge and move that on and test and learn as we go if i'd pitched up at the you know first conversation at the board table in 2017 and gone right i think we need to stick 50% of our marketing spend behind social media kind of where where's the evidence 
where's the learning? So what we've tried to do is, is anchor all of our decisions about where we place our marketing investments in following our audiences mm-hmm. and following them with relevant stories and stories that make them smile and stories that make them feel something and think differently about Weetabix. And I think social has been an example of where we can access a younger audience with stories they might not have heard before about Weetabix that we might want not want to place in a TV ad because there's only so much you can say in one piece of TV copy and social you've got the opportunity to have a conversation much more frequently much more deeply as you as you both know very very well so for us it's a it's partly anchored in this strategy to uh, uh, to reach younger audiences it's partly anchored in this idea of telling people about the good stuff that Weetabix is up to and and I mean this genuinely you know since I've been at Weetabix I there aren't really skeletons in our closet you know mm. I Weetabix is a, a a very very wholesome business who we talk about being good citizens and we you know for 10 years now we've sourced our wheat as an example for Weetabix within 50 miles of our mills and that was kind of before all of that stuff was trendy and the reason we do that is because we want to support our local farmers it's because we want to only put the best quality wheat in our Weetabix it's because we want to support our local environments and you guys probably didn't know that. Not many people know mm. our, our wheat is sourced locally and, and social is allowing us to to pepper the conversation with stories like that that make people go, ah, that might be a reason why. Well, first of all, Weetabix is more front of mind because I've heard something that's interesting. And secondly, that might be a reason why I want to spend £2.50 on a box of Weetabix tomorrow rather than trading down into, into something else uh, that might be cheaper. But just might not be as wholesome, might just might not be as as delicious as as Weetabix is. The other thing we're also doing in social is talking to whoever wants to listen, our fans, about our deal with the Football Association. Um, yes. So that that was a big thing for Weetabix when we launched that in I think it was maybe two years ago, three years ago. We hadn't done big scale sponsorships before, and and we're still thinking about how we can really bring that to life. But one of the things we've done is obviously take it to the packaging. Um, But the second big thing we've done is talk regularly about the stuff we're doing with the FA to get young girls in particular into football through through our Weetabix Wildcat sponsorship. And and clearly last year when the Lionesses won the Euros, um, that was an enormous opportunity for us to celebrate that with the nation and and take kind of uh, all of that good stuff and encourage good to come out of it and and so that idea of trying to get young girls to to who idolize the likes of Jill Scott and find give them a path through the Wildcats to kind of start their own journey into sport and football has just been um, hugely exciting and I genuinely think we're just getting started on that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah and you must have been so proud it's, it's kind of one of those things we've got we've got a uh, another client that was one of the early sponsors of the uh, uh, women as well in, in the Euros. And it's just so great when you've sort of, as a brand invested and and then, you know, they, they win and it's just so good for, well, it's good for the nation, but it's lovely to have sort of backed, backed someone from the early days. So you must have been so Absolutely. proud of that. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're going to move on now to... The slightly more, well, I don't like to say frivolous, but perhaps <laughs> there's a bit more sort of quick fire questions just around everything off. So I'm going to let Wendy 
ask her first question. Thank you. So, Fran, what's your idea of a perfect weekend? It would start with a load of quality time with my 14-month-old daughter, Alessandra. Um, and I, I mean quality time. I, you know, I can be sitting in the playroom with her and but sitting on my phone kind of you know firing texts or whatever for me it's about putting the phone to one side looking at her in the eyes laughing with her and my husband Zeno so having some quality time and intimate time with them is is definitely up there on the second day I miss those days of I mean there's been so many blinking strain train strike strikes going on I, I I feel like I've spent a lot of time at home recently but I miss the days of hopping on a train heading into London maybe treating myself to a blow dry <laughs> <laughs> getting someone else to wash my hair for once I've done that for years uh, maybe treating myself to a blow dry going into Chinatown getting some dim sum watching a show having some cocktails working my way through the cocktail menu from start to finish uh, with her, with my husband or friends or both that for me is is an amazing day that sounds amazing we're, we're there slightly different question how would you fare in a zombie apocalypse oh my goodness I'd I'd be absolutely shocking <laughs> do, do you know what I'd probably do I would probably try and wing it I'd either act dead or I'd I'd slap on a load of makeup create some bed hair and try and pretend I was one of them and see how long <laughs> I could see how long I could survive <laughs> do a cross-functional move move over to the zombies <laughs> yes yes and then my performing arts stuff might get a chance to shine again I'm not sure it ever shone but I'll give it a good go <laughs> Jazz hands your way out of trouble, basically. <laughs> Love that. Jazz, um, that 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 is going to be my strap line, I think, from here. Jazz hand my way out of trouble. <laughs> now, if you could tell your eighteen-year-old self one thing, what would it be? I'd say dance like no one's watching a bit more often. Mm. Uh, I don't know if just because I don't dance anymore. I mean, I can't I can't remember the last time I had a good old dance but back in the day do you remember those moments when you're on the dance floor in the club like just lost in the moment just having the best time and I'd just do that a bit more I'd you know live in the present a bit more not worry about the stuff that you can't control not not worry about the future because you know you're at a time in your life when you know there isn't an enormous amount of responsibility although you feel like there is and just just enjoy it that you know let your hair down mm. dance like no one's watching a bit a bit more I love that I love that I'm also a bit of a fan of kitchen dancing actually so you know yes. I'm I'm trying to teach uh Emma's boys the uh the joys of my uh 90s rave, raving moves you know but oh, it's not going down it. too well yet but you just just have to dance away <laughs> that reminds me actually through through COVID, you know, when we were all doing the Zoom quizzes and the Zoom calls, and I, I probably saw more of my friends through COVID than than I had done for years. Because every Saturday yeah. night, we'd jump on the Zoom call, we would we'd treat it like a night out. We'd slap on a bit of lippy, you know, <laughs> get a cocktail in hand. I remember dancing on the table in my kitchen. My husband caught me at one point, um, and uh, and 
we just had we lost ourselves on those zoom calls and it it was so cool and i i just think why don't we do that a bit more in in life yes it's really cool it's 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 good for the soul absolutely okay dance more and we've come to the end now of of the podcast but I i feel like we've covered so much but is there anything that you wished that you had been asked or any closing thoughts from you yeah um thank you it's been so lovely to be able to kind of find the space to to do something like this and you both make it so easy to have these sorts of conversations so thank you um maybe something for me just because it's current it's it's real for me right now i i returned from my first maternity leave it'll be 3 months ago just under 3 months ago and that's been that's hard you know mm. and and i i would say my confidence is has been shaken as a result of that and i'm i'm struggling to put my finger on why and i'm settling into kind of working mum life and all that that brings but one of the things that i didn't expect that i have found from being out for a year is what a privilege it is to kind of have the space to step out of the business that you're in the work that you're in and just reset reflect and reset and coming in i on one hand i feel shaky but on the other hand i feel i feel more powerful i feel and and not in kind of an e- the sense of ego but i feel like i can reset i feel like if i'm coming back and i'm doing this i'm really doing this and just that idea of being able to step out step back and go right these are the big things now i've got clarity i feel clearer on what i'm up to more than I did before I left and so I think I'm not suggesting everybody suddenly go off on maternity leave but you know if you get the opportunity to take a sabbatical go on a longer holiday take the long weekend take the time out you know pause the meeting when it's hard do the sleep test come back in the morning you know getting that space to get clear and and feel bolder and braver about what you're up to think is hugely powerful and I, I'm not sure I've done that enough in in my career and and particularly when you've been in a in a job or a business for a while I I really think there's merit in stepping out and reflecting and re- resetting and and trying to take that time if you can I've, I've had huge benefit from from that You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.